the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 50. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Sandra. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How is it in Austin today? It is a beautiful day. We are having back-to-back gorgeous days. This is this is the bluebird season of of Texas right now. We're all relishing in the weather, and we love to talk about it. <laughs> we love to talk about how beautiful it is. I like how we've been talking about the weather a little bit. We're doing a little small talk. We're practicing our small talk, so it's not so hard. We right. go out to parties and things, and yeah, thank you. You're helping me. You're helping me do the small talk that I that I usually run from. How's the weather? How? Yeah. How are you? Oh, we're still practicing. Okay, I'm okay. good. I'm really good. I'm going to Rob Bell tonight with some gals. That's exciting. Yeah. Oh, two of our former guests, Ashley Nichols and Tiffany Hahn, are going. <gasps> Oh, fun. Yeah. And two of our listeners, Gloria and Natalie, we're both, um, we're all of us are powwowing to a vegan restaurant. If you can believe it, I'm going to a vegan restaurant before for tacos. And then we're going to see Rob Bell and my secret boyfriend, Pete Rollins. That is so exciting. Mm-hmm. That's so fun. I'm very excited. You're gonna, you're gonna love it. Tiffany was so cute. She sent a, a text last night and she was like, should I make some shirts that say, you know, cause she wants him to come on. She's her. trying to get him on the, on her <laughs> podcast. Right. Right. Totally. And she was so cute. She was like, if I made some t-shirts that said like Rob Bell, you ring my bell. Do you think that he might notice? I'm like, you should totally make that t-shirt. I'm like, yeah, you would notice somebody, uh, had a poster. I don't know what the poster said. That person was unfortunately sitting right next to the drunk people. I don't think they were there together. But, um, yeah, a woman had a poster, and she would hold it up. She held it up a couple of times. Hmm. I don't know what it said, though. So good, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it said. Oh, because he says that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I think her says, uh, Rob, you ring my bell. <laughs> Which could be interpreted a- – I'm going to make one for many Pete. different Pete. ways. I'll make one for Pete. Right. Pete, you ring my bell, but quit showing Scott scotch pictures on your Instagram feed because I had to stop <laughs> following you. Sorry. Well, I like you, but I had to stop following you. <laughs> I know. You just got to let him do what he's going to do. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. He doesn't talk about alcohol and yeah. his, he doesn't talk about scotch yeah. at the, at the Rob Bell show. No, he helped me believe in a God. Like he's. I, Pete Rollins, he helped crystallize a lot of things for me um, in 2016, the summer of 2016, for a higher power and finding a God. And Rob Bell was that vehicle, too, on his podcast for having him on. I think it was that God series he did. Oh, right. Uh, that was so good. Yeah. It's really smart. 
Yeah, very smart. So I am looking forward to that tonight. But has anything fun been going on for you since we last spoke? Um, what are you up to? Well, you know, okay, so I'm late to the party, as I am with most things, but I'm finally finishing up reading um, the book, The Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope. And it's a really good book. Have you read it? No. Mm, it's good. It's good. Um, he talks about the concept of dharma, mm. which is just, um, you know, having a purpose, like finding it, what's your motivation behind it, um, how it can change throughout your life, your dharma. Um, and I really resonate with that. Um, especially what I find is that even though that thing changes for me often, sometimes even month to month, the feelings behind it are always consistent and it feels like I'm, you know, channeling a force and it propels me out of bed in the morning. And, um, right now that's happening to me with just being in my studio, making things, sewing, um, it's pretty intense right now. <laughs> it's not sustainable. Right. And, and that's good because I'd probably be dead. I don't think I could physically handle it, but, um, it's intense right now. And so I'm in that place where I don't want to leave my studio. I forget to eat. I forget to take a shower. Um, it happened when I was writing my ebook and uh, it's pretty awesome when it happens. Um, it's, it's like divine, right? Like it's like this, yeah, just this thing that's surging through you that you have to, you have to get up and you have to address it. You have to like answer the call. Yeah. Like I've even been thinking lately too. It's like, I wonder if I haven't always had this thing, but I was just too hung over in the mornings to like physically actually to get physically get out of bed and physically feel it. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I definitely, it's definitely loud and clear now. Well, it's like, um, I'll use a painting analogy that my professor uses on me quite a bit about a call and response, right? Mm -hmm. that, that painting, once you start painting it, it's like a, it's like a conversation. Um, and the painting is calling you and you, you get to decide how you're going to respond to that. But I imagine for you, like how loud is that calling? Right. And right now it sounds like it's really loud. Right. It is. It is really loud. And, um, so it's good. I, I like it when I'm in this place. Yesterday I made myself and not, not because of, I'm not saying this because of, I didn't want the company because I need the company of people, real life people, human touch, human, human contact. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but just like I said, I've just been so intensely edit, but, um, Amy Lanier um, is in Austin right now for a conference. And so I left yesterday. I left my studio yesterday. I took a shower. I put on makeup. What? <laughs> I put on wow. cute shoes all and a cute up. jacket. And yeah, and we hung out downtown. It was so fun. 
we just kind of farted around. We looked at rocks. We I took her to a rock crystal shop. She and, must have been in heaven. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and and then we had tacos. So yeah, it was crystals and tacos, and <laughs> that's a chit chat, and it was really fun. That sounds nice. I wish I was there with you guys. I know. I know. She's she's lovely. Amy's my um, I think she'd be okay with me saying this. She's my accountability partner for the um, inner circle work that I'm doing with Tiffany Hahn. Mm -hmm. So we kind of keep each other accountable each week for um, the work that we're doing in the program, that creative program, and but also our own creative tasks that we're doing. So we try to have two or three, typically three things that we're responsible for. that we try to get done. Now, sometimes they don't get done. But I have to say, last Friday night, I was in my studio, or last Friday afternoon, and I had the three things that were on the list that I was going to be accountable to Amy on Sunday. And I was like, I am not leaving the studio. <laughs> I'm turning off my phone. I'm staying off of social media. I'm getting these three things done today. It took me... I added two more things to that list um, that I did some stuff for the podcast. But so there was five things. And I think I spent five hours in the studio just glued to my chair working. And it felt so good to get it all done. And she's been a great, uh, you know, just knowing that you have to email somebody and say, hey, I did X, Y, and Z. Uh Brilliant. And, And that she's not shaming me if I don't get them done but it's been really cool to have another creative and to share like what's going on with her and what she's working on and giving me ideas it's been really cool yeah collaborations and accountability partners yeah. are all good things yeah all good yeah um, we are about I think we share briefly in the podcast today but I'm, I'm gonna brag a little bit about us Sandra just a tiny okay. bit because I kind of want to um I'm really proud of you and me for doing this show. We touched on this maybe the last episode, but we are about, I mean, maybe even right now it's at that point, but we're approaching 100,000 downloads for the pod. That's just crazy. It's insane. Cause do you remember yeah. like our first podcast we've had? Like, there's 16 <laughs> people listening. <laughs> what? Oh, there's 127. You know, it was, and yeah. to know that, this, that we've just been coming back here week after week and doing this and... I think you touched on it um, earlier. Like it was, it's not perfect, but we're we're doing it. You know, yeah. it's like a um, an exercise, a creative exercise to do this podcast. And I think we're getting better as we go along. Yeah, I think we are. I think we're 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 staying consistent. And I think the I wrote the, I wrote about this in my last newsletter, but I think the quantity is is lending to the quality so we're just getting better mm-hmm. as we keep showing up and doing it and staying consistent yeah yeah i love that newsletter i love your newsletters anyway they're like this little um respite like i take and read your news i'm like oh sandra musings i love this but yeah <laughs> oh. by coming by coming here every week and committing and doing this and scheduling it and doing the research and putting it all together like it doesn't magically happen but we're getting better at it like that it's not as hard as it was um in the beginning because there were so many unknown factors right yeah so Mm. and some of our friends there's a lot of our new friends that have started podcasts and i'm sure they can understand like it's not it sounds easy to listen to (laughs) and 
but not so easy to put together and um but really gratifying. Yes, very gratifying. Very gratifying. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we should talk about our guests for today. Yeah, yeah, speaking of getting things done. Yeah. Um we talk about this a lot in the in the in the podcast you're about to listen to, but today our guest is Sam Lamott and Sam is an artist writer college dropout, ex-meth head, and former teen father who now owns and operates the media company called Hello Humans, and he's the host of a podcast called How to Human. Um, Hello Humans is a platform for storytellers who capture the truth, truth uh, with the capital T, of what it means to be human. Yeah, and I I got introduced, or the way we came to find Sam, um, is my friend Meg um, works with him on the How to How to um, Human podcast and on the Hello Humans p- platform. And Meg is a filmmaker, and she came and stayed with me last year. I think I might have talked with her about her on the podcast. Um, she was taking kind of her own trip up the Northern California coast and documenting it and um, kind of doing a little soul-searching herself. And she had talked to me about Sam while she was here having dinner at my house and said, when I come back through, I'm trying to hook up and meet with um, Sam Lamott. And, not hook up, hook up, but like have a meeting. Right. <laughs> be clear um and have a meeting because i'm interested in what he's doing have you heard about what he's doing so she had done all this research and she told me about him and i was like sam lamont i'm like that name sounds familiar she's like yeah because his mom is ann lamont and i go oh okay yeah okay that's why it sounds familiar and she got the job and they're working together and she was so happy and excited and so she reached out and she said would you guys be interested in having sam on the show and um, I looked him up, and I was like, of course, he was the perfect fit. I mean, at the time, you and I were talking about trying to have um, someone on the show that, um, you know, we, we have teenagers, and we were talking about being a mom, and a lot of our listeners um, are in our age demographic, and our mothers as well. And we're trying to tap into this conversation about, you know, what it is to be a mom in sobriety and in recovery. And I thought, oh, his mom is you know, the mom, the sober mom that we all look to and, and read her work and, and know where she comes from. And what would that be like to be her son and then also um, have the same um, problems with, with um, drugs or alcohol? So I was interested and intrigued. And so um, they had sent an essay that Anne Lamott wrote for um, his website called Sharpen Up. And she shared kind of how it felt to be his mom. And God, I just thought it would be a great fit. And um while yeah. we dabbled in that for just a little bit, it was just like a jumping off point for us to have a larger conversation about the creative process. And yeah, it went it went to so many more places and yeah. organically. Yeah, it was great. And I appreciated um, um, his perspective on all of that. And he has a lot of really good nuggets in there that I'm hoping our listeners, uh, again, last episode, we told you to have a notebook and a pen, but yeah, write him down because he has a lot of really good things yeah, to say. I really took did. so many notes while we were <laughs> chatting. Um, but I'm also about listening to your creative intuition. And the biggest message was to finish what you start. Yeah. So I think you guys are going to love this interview. We'd love yeah. to hear more from you in our secret Facebook page about it. If we, When we post the episodes, if you guys want to leave comments or um, let us know what you think. Like, we, we would appreciate that. Yeah, please do. Well, you guys enjoy Sam. 
Hey, Sam. Hello, humans. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Oh, thank you for coming on our show today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to get to talk to any listener out there. Well, we were connected through um, a mutual friend, uh, our friend Meg, Meg Schmidt. Who, we were. Uh, she's, she's amazing. She just does so much stuff on the back end. And, and so she just texted me like, hey, you're going to be on this thing. Do it. <laughs> and uh, she, she has. Right. Yeah. She has the constitution to be able to reach out to 10 people and get turned down every single time and then write them back in a week and be like, so uh, when are we doing this? <laughs> I feel like we get great guests because we wear them down. And so I'm so glad that uh, it sounds like Meg uh, did this pretty effortlessly this time. So thank you for being so inviting. Oh, of course. Of course. I would do anything for her. She is, I just loved her. Yeah, she was great. Um, I got the pleasure of having her in my home not too long ago, I think before she met you. Um, she stayed with me. She was kind of on her road trip and making a film and, um, she was going to see you on her way back down from that trip, I believe, and started working with you after that. Oh yeah. That was, uh, that was the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I feel like the whole reason we try to be successful is, uh, so we can pay her. <laughs> and so hashtag let's pay Meg. Right, right. Let's do that. Okay. Well, we're going to get to all of that at the end because I, I we want to hear about all that you've, um, created and where Meg, even who Meg is. So we're going to let our listeners just kind of simmer in that and you guys will get to know Meg at the end. Um, but we wanted to just, you know, maybe start off with letting our listeners know a little bit about how you came to your sobriety. Do you mm. mind sharing a little bit of that story with us? Yeah, it's a long and uh, convoluted <laughs> road. I generally uh, forget things in the timeline, so I might have to go back. But you know, I like to start early on, which I was always a very shy and sensitive and worried being. And from as early as I can remember, that's just a part of who I am. And so I was very uncomfortable in my own skin from early on. I just felt different. I felt like I didn't belong. And I remember my mom is also sober. And so I had this idea that drugs and alcohol were not great. They were not the bee's knees. And I never had to see her drink or use. And so when people started to drink or, or smoke pot or, you know, really dabble in that stuff, I was like a Boy Scout. I was like, just say no, you guys. This is, you know, and I remember I was with my best friend and we were at his house and his sister was a senior and all her senior cheerleader friends were at the house and there was a ton of pressure to have some of that Bacardi and uh, I had one shot and I remember it hitting my stomach and feeling like wow is this what normal feels like is this what it feels like to not always be worried about what happens when you die and all the things that I was worried about and it was just heaven and it ended up uh, just being a great night puking included. I didn't mind the throwing up. And uh, it was on. I started drinking on the weekdays or on the weekends. And uh, then pot came into the picture. That was like, you know, icing on the cake. And um, slowly it became just my thing, what I wanted to do. I wanted to be inebriated all the time because it was uh, it was my medicine. And so uh, fast forward at 15, uh, I had found other things I loved. I found cocaine and ecstasy, and it was also 
fantastic. I mean, to people outside looking in, it probably wasn't fantastic. I was getting busted. I was in outpatient programs. It wasn't very glamorous. But to me on the inside, which is a central theme of my using, I felt great. Nothing was a problem. And we just kept going. Now, fast forward to 17, I had been kicked out of two schools. I was in this boarding school, which was very focused on uh, behavior modification. I went, I ended up going to this farm, which was like holes. Do you remember the book holes? Yes. Mm -hmm. It it was like a work farm. We're going to work you into a better human being. And so when I came back to my hometown, I had a bunch of great ideas. For instance, uh, life isn't about using drugs. It's about successfully using drugs, which means selling it because that way you're making money. It's like a win-win situation. And being the obsessive person, I jumped right in and we did it. We did a full operation. I was driving pounds of weed down to Arizona, uh, making what seemed like a killing until I got arrested, um, and that was the first real-life major consequence. I had just turned 18. So, like, had I gotten busted a week before, uh, I would have been a minor. It would have been okay. But all of a sudden, I'm in jail. I'm facing trafficking charges and, uh, you know, felony possession charges, which, like, the maximum sentence would be, like, 11 years in prison. And so when I came out of prison or out of jail, excuse me, I've never been to prison. Um, I had a very uh, tense conversation with the people who were supplying me and who I owed quite a bit of money. And they basically said, listen, thank you for not snitching. You owe us like 20 grand, but we'll forgive it as long as you don't sell anymore. If you ever want to be back in business, you have to come to us, you have to pay us. And they were scary fellows. So I never sold from that point on. That was like, okay, uh, my career is no longer a drug addict. We'll keep going, just get this show on the road. I um, ended up in design school. It was very competitive. I found Adderall, amazing, loved it. And um, somewhere along the line of school, I uh, got a girl pregnant. And so I was 19, going to be a father (laughs) with a lot of vices and it just progressed. I ended up dropping out of school like four years in, uh, just, you know, really solid decision-making. Uh, I ended up, uh, splitting up with my kid's mom because it got in the way of my using, uh, and it was on. I eventually found, uh, different versions of speed, uh, which, really accelerated things. I I feel like had I never gone that far, I could have gone 20 or 30 more years being miserably drunk. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I love anything that is, that makes me feel good. And that could be alcohol, drugs, gambling, sex, you name it. I love it. And so I like to call my condition more. I want more anything that makes me feel good. So what really happened in the end um, is I had somebody over at my house. He ended up stealing from me. I ended up really hurting him to the point where it it, it could have gone to attempted murder charges. And uh, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough to be a wake-up call. 
but things started to mount. I had this custody battle where, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not suited to be a responsible father. I have a private eye following me, which is great when you're uh, a speed freak is to actually have somebody following you. Uh, you know. Uh huh. Right. And all the while there was this neighbor girl who was, uh, younger than me she was like 18 and she would come over we'd watch dexter i'd get high in the bathroom i thought it was all good no one knew and one day she turned to me and she said i think i'm an alcoholic and being the selfish addict that i was i was like really you know i hadn't really paid attention to her because it was all about me right and uh i said you know what my mom's sober you should go to this group it's amazing transform your life and she said oh will you go with me and i went and when i went you know, it was attractive, but I wasn't really in. I was, I, what, my first thought was, wow, this is going to be useful to all the, the damage in my life. I can do this for a year. I can get a sponsor. I can pass piss tests, and this will make all the court problems go away. And so what I did is I actually physically cleaned up so I could pass any drug tests. And I actually got with the program and did what they did. I got a mentor type figure who did the program with me and I did it really well. I put my heart into it because I wanted him to come testify and have a great moving testimony. And at the at, at the end of the year, uh, my life, despite my intentions not being good, my life was unrecognizable. It was so full of amazing kind of accomplishments and uh, a comfort in my own skin, kind of at that point, but like I'd never felt before at least. And um, I just said, you know what? We'll give it another year. And that's how it started. Now I have six and a half years clean and sober. Um, I work with a lot of guys and now, you know, I'm in it for the right reasons, but I started just with that crazy, rationalization that it's going to get me out of trouble. I forgot to mention the guy that I, um, some, some would call it tortured because he stole from me, got clean and sober. And so he's the reason the private eye stopped following me is he got clean and sober. He saw his end of the street, which wasn't anything compared to my end of the street of the mess and basically stopped the whole pursuit of me. And then his life started to get better. And that also helped motivate me because I thought he was a real piece of... Can I swear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought he was a real <laughs> piece of shit. I thought he was a real like low-life scumbag piece of shit human. And his life started to get better. And I thought, you don't deserve that. I deserve that. you know. Mm-hmm. And so there was a bit of envy that played into it. And uh, yeah, that's the, that's the gist. By the end of the year of being clean and sober... I was in enough. Now, I had done so much damage to my brain. I'm not sure if it was the drugs and alcohol, if it was being a uh, combative person who got hit in the head quite a bit or or what. And so it took me about a year and a half to even feel like I could feel normal. There's some people who get clean and sober and like all of a sudden their body's working right and their sex drive is working right and they're just feeling on top of the world. That's not my experience. My experience was like, gray like uh black and white for a year and a half and i had somebody who's a brain specialist say you have no 
chemicals to feel good. And so this is normal. And at about uh, 18 months, you'll probably be able to feel some sense of appreciation for the world and some sense of wellness. And so it was, I, I can't believe I stayed sober because there wasn't that reward. There wasn't that immediate, oh, I feel great. And and so that's the gist. I, I mean, a lot's happened since I've been sober, which we can get into, but that's the, that's the starting point. So how old were you when you got sober? How was it 21? I was 22. 22. It was like six days after my birthday, uh, which was, uh, a shit show. So that probably mm. helped things along. Yeah. Well, you know, I, our stories look so different, but yet, you know, you always find similarities in recovery stories. And what I find the most important message in your story, Sam, is that, um, you went in thinking you were going to, even though you had an agenda, but you went in thinking you were going to give it a year. And I think that that's a really important message to people. It's like a softer entry. It's like your life isn't working. Why don't you try it? Try it for a year. See if your life gets better. There's some talk that like, oh, this is a life threatening condition. I'm going to be sober for the rest of my life. That makes me anxious. That's, that makes me think about real, you know, What's going to happen when I'm 40? It's not helpful for me. So what's helpful for me is I, I mean, I, I do plan on uh, being sober forever because I'm at this point, it's just not something I'm willing to gamble. My, the life I have today, I've never had anything close to it while drinking and using. So it doesn't ever make sense. But I kind of just like some people do a day at a time and that works. I do a year at a time and it's like a library card. I go in, I say, I, you know, I, I get my, um, little token of appreciation or, you know, that I've done it another year. And then I go, yeah, I'm going to renew my membership for another year. This is still working. I'm still getting something out of it. Yeah. And and then I don't, and then I don't think about it. Then I I think about, you know, uh, what I'm going to do, how I can be useful, how I can be a productive member of society. And when I work with new people, when I'm like talking to people that are new, my only thing is I hope you can make it to a year so you can see what's on the other side. Cause whatever you feel right now, even if it's amazing, it pales in comparison to if you can get a year and see that. Cause that is, that's a point where I just feel like you really start to get the picture. You're nowhere near what happens in like later sobriety. If you, if you keep going and keep, you know, actually putting work into it. But at a year, you go, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that first year, right? Like, um, it, it was it was it was so full of aha moments, and I I wrote furiously in my journals. I remember in meetings, just kind of with my head down. I was anxious too, so I'd make these anxiety tick marks um, and make art from them, and just I would. I would think everyone in the rooms were geniuses and <laughs> so profound the things they were saying. And I was just, and, you know, now I'm like, oh, that's just a thing. Okay. A lot of people say that. Okay. It's a thing. It's a slogan. It's a whatever. But um, it still, it, it introduced me to a world that I would, I would not have known or I wouldn't have even opened my mind to. So that first year was like all about self-discovery and you learn so much about yourself. And, and it's just the tip. Like you said, it's only like this tiny little bit. Um, I like your year. I like your year renewing the membership. I like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say that if I could have written the story of what I thought my sobriety would look like, what, what it would look like even at a year, I definitely would have sold myself short. And I think that's just, I don't know. It's just such a good message. So yeah. And to be, just to clarify for anyone out there, I didn't become a saint. I had no interest in becoming a totally different person. And so I focused, I mean, I really just said, don't drink or use no matter what. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the stuff, we'll, we'll figure that out later. So there was learning how to be a good partner. I was a terrible romantic partner. Um, I had to face consequences of infidelity and really just causing huge damage. And I got into street art, which actually led to my, you know, career as an artist. But, you know, I was out committing vandalism and getting totally high on the adrenaline, but I was physically clean and sober. And so it was just don't drink or use no matter what, stay connected. And then everything else, we'll worry about that later. And it, it happened naturally. I think you always get to this pain point where you go, okay, uh, I have caused a ton of wreckage totally clean and sober. Because when you're using, you think, when I clean up, all these problems will go away. I'll just right. be perfect. And um, I just let those pain points come in. Unfortunately, that's the way I learn. I get hit over the head. Uh, the higher power or whatever just beats me back onto the path and there comes a point where I go this shit has got to stop this has to stop I want to be a I want a good partner I want to be a good partner one day and then you get to a point where where you're ready to do it right I think that's how we change though it comes from pain it comes from struggle it certainly doesn't happen when things are going great <laughs> yeah I, I loved a line uh, from a recent guest on, on my podcast who said his uh, teacher is, said, good times, bad times, where do you learn the most? And there's no correct answer, but you know, if you learn through Hard Knocks, which I, I actually put Hard Knocks University on my resume when I applied <laughs> for jobs, and people will go, where's that? What the hell is this? And I say, listen, I've been to the underworld. I shook hands with the devil. I made it out. You're not going to find somebody who's got more discipline than I have. I'm battle tested. And so, you know, because I don't have a college degree, I've always started on the low end of the totem pole. But at one point in the last company I worked for, I was direct, I was interim director of education with no degree. And, you know, it was all from hard work and just proving myself. And I, I feel like that's one of the things I learned is like, it's not about me. It's about serving wherever I'm at. So if I'm working for a company, if I'm taking their money, I'm going to be a servant to them. I'm going to do, and that's that. For some reason, that word has a bad connotation, but like I think of it like samurai serving their master, like honorable. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to yeah. really try and uh, add value, you know, to to earn my my way. Right, right, and then that's just that. I mean, we get to live amends and. Um, and that's just a, I don't know, that's a good way to frame my life too. It just keeps me going in the right direction. Yeah. And I think of how lucky you are to have figured this out at 22, Sam. Oh, yeah. I got well, sober when I was 44. <laughs> Sandra, how old were you when you got sober? 45. 45, yeah. 44. So to hear you say this, like when we wanted to have you on the show, 
you know, as moms who got sober later in life, it's like, um, when I talk to younger people and say, well, I don't feel like I'm, I need to drink a little bit more because I'm so young. You know, I don't think I should quit yet because of whatever their reasons are. And I was like, I just look and go, oh my gosh, you're, you would be so lucky if you just figure this out right now and, and stop, you know, although you can't do that for anybody. I know that, but I think about that, like that you, you're so very lucky to have figured that out. And am I yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry to, to keep interrupting you. Oh, no, no, go ahead. We're going to do it to you, uh, so just know that. <laughs> yeah, I think part of it was getting backed into a corner. I feel like um, I could have easily gone 20 years drinking had I not gotten into the hard stuff. It beat me down to my knees. And I've had to face emotions. I hope most people don't have to face, like, losing your freedom for 25 years, potentially, and... You're never getting to see your son again because you drank and were a mess for the first year and a half of his life and didn't show up to be a dad. And so I I feel like I'm actually uh, 15 years older than I am because I've just been, you know, I've I've had a really messy beginning. Mm, yeah. I have to ask this, Sam. You know, I think most parents in recovery, we at least think about or usually actually obsess over the fact of, you know, whether or not our child will have a drug or alcohol problem. So I, your mom was in recovery before she even had you. And, um, so what, what was it like to have a mom in recovery, but then also need that same recovery? Well, I didn't really care until I was in recovery. I was just kind of like, I'm glad that works for you, mom. And uh, she did a pretty good job of, nah, what am I saying? She sent me to boarding school and, and, and stuff. So she tried her best, but there was nothing that was going to stop me. There was nothing. And um, my friend got stabbed to death at 15. And he, and he died because everybody who was with him that night was drunk. And they were scared of getting in trouble. And so they just ran. And he, oh, bled, out, and he bled out. And that wasn't a wake-up call. And so it happens when it happens. And uh, you you asked about uh, do I worry about my son becoming a yeah yeah do you think addict? about yeah do you think oh. about that in regards to your own child oh well I don't think about it so much because it just seems like duh duh he's gonna have I mean <laughs> gene- genetically I feel you know I'm sorry kid I probably shouldn't have had you because you're genetically <laughs> fucked you know but um, I also feel like it there's a chance that he doesn't and that'd be that'd be great obviously that's what i hope for but if it does you know um he's his own person he's there's a new soul that's been brought into the world and he's got to go through his own journey and you know it could end with you know it could be that he uh if he is a alcoholic or drug addict addict, that he has an amazing moment to transform like i did it could you know it could not end up well for him. And that's out of my control. Unfortunately, that's one of the things I really hate about life is I don't have control over much, but right. (laughs) You know, that's, that's that. And I I really hope he um, gets to live a full and amazing life, whether that means being clean or sober or not. Um, Well, I, I was, my question too, that I wanted to ask you is that, I mean, to have a mom that's in sobriety. So we're in recovery. We're in, we're, we're living um, a sober life. Um, I have a teenager. Sandra has a teenager, a teenage boys, both of us. And I mean, it's gotta be a little weird for a teenager. I would imagine, and I'm, I'm probably projecting here, but 
to, um, I mean, you didn't just have a sober mom, like you had like the queen bee sober mom, right? <laughs> like she was like, for our listeners, his mom is Anne Lamott. Um, and so was that weird at all for you as a kid that she's writing about, you know, having you, she wrote that book, Operating Instructions, that she writes about your birth. And did you rebel against, do you think that was, had anything to do with you picking up or, or was that really just internal that you wanted to just feel good and that had nothing completely separate from who she was? Yeah, I mean, uh, me and my therapist uh, talk about this often and kind of scratch our heads about it. You know, I'm not totally sure. People say, yeah, was it weird? I mean, to be honest, it's all I know. So I don't know uh, how weird it actually was. I grew up around sober people. My mom would uh, show up with with some friend of hers and, and her arm around her and say, hey, meet this person. She's a terrible addict and ex-prostitute you know and, and she's uh, awesome and it would turn out that she has this person uh had a great life and so i knew tra- transformation was real i knew kind of that there was a place i could go hmm. uh was writing a, about me weird i don't i don't know i didn't even care i got i here's one thing that it inspires me to really pursue my purpose what I'm here to do is I got to see somebody who she was so poor when I was born and she still kept writing and I got to see somebody follow their dream and achieve it and so it meant a lot of travel it meant that I was hanging out on the floor of bookstores where she taught writing classes or spoke and gave lectures but I got to see that I got to see what that looks like and so that's a gift I want to give to my son is I want to say, you know what? I'm not going to work a job I hate so I can pay for fun things on the weekend. I don't want him to see me miserable. I want him to see me living the life I want to live and living as the artist I want to be. And so that was the biggest gift is I got to see somebody follow it to the end. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, that is powerful. I think about that too, about, you know, at least I'm teaching my kids resilience, like just keep going, just keep going. Yeah. Our family motto, which I have tattooed on my arm is we never give up. If you're looking for the keys in the house, we don't give up. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I'm jotting that down after a tough night of homework with my son. So yes, (laughs) we never give up. I can give you the name of a good tattoo artist, too. <laughs> no, no, no. We're good. We're good. <laughs> For now. <laughs> um, I was listening to your interview with Paul Williams on your um, How to Human podcast, and you said a line that really spoke to me, and maybe we can get into a little bit of this about you being a creative, if you were a creative kid or the type of artist that you are. Um, but you said, it's not about your art blowing up or affecting thousands of people. It's create the art. And it's there, and it's there to find a home if a home is needed. And I thought that was so beautiful about just, it. just, you need to make it, right? Is what you're saying? Like, you just need to make the art? Yeah, I mean, being an artist isn't a career. I don't think it's a calling. And so Mm -hmm. if that is what you're here to do, is to make art, you have to make it. You don't want to get to your deathbed and be like, I could have done it. And the ego wants thousands of people to love it and you want the praise and you want the cash and prizes. But I think one major thing is to die gracefully, which means leaving it all on the table and to make 
art if that's what you're here to do. I get physically sick if I stop creating. I, I feel like mm-hmm. physically ill that I'm not living my purpose. And so, you know, when with any project, the goal is to, you know, I don't strive to change the world with my art. What I strive for is if you're if somebody's walking down the street and they're having a miserable day and they see a piece of graffiti or they see somebody walking by with that contagious smile and they get a brief moment of reprieve where they chuckle or smile. Even if five minutes later they go back to being miserable, that's a miracle. That's magic. And you helped create that. You helped create five minutes of, you know, sanctuary from that moment. And so when I get one email that says, that's what I needed to hear today. Thank you for making that. That's enough. Sometimes I don't get an email. Sometimes I get a lot of emails. But if a home is needed for the piece, I want that piece to get there. And for artists out there, finish your fucking work. That's the that's the <laughs> main thing. When I was uh, doing more sculpture and I was showing in some galleries, I got a lot of people asking me, how do you get in the galleries? I'd say, oh, you know, mostly by uh, friends connecting me with a gallery. Show me some of your work. And they'd say, Oh, yeah, here it's this piece. It's not finished yet. Here's that piece. It's not finished yet. The deal is, I forget the actual phrase, but something like um, opportunity is being prepared for it. I, God, I wish I could remember it. That's not it, but close enough. If you finish the work, if you have something to show, even if it's garbage, if an opportunity arises, you're ready for it. If somebody says, hey, I want you to be a part of this group show, I go, great. Here's the pieces I got. Which one do you want? And so finish your fucking work. You, I mean, <laughs> anytime you give up, this is why you should be so care. In my opinion, this is why you should be so careful about what you take on is if you don't finish, it's an opportunity for that negative critic inside of you to, to prevent you from making more work. Cause it'll say, eh, you don't want to start that. You're not going to finish it and you're going to feel like garbage. So don't even start. And so I heard, uh, I think it was like, LL Cool J in some interview when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. and it didn't affect me until later until I started getting into the habit of finishing and he said the only rule was if you start it finish it even if it's a terrible painting or a terrible piece and you know there's no saving it you know it's going to be a bad piece finish it and be careful what you start really everything you start starting is a sacred moment it's when you jive with the muse that gave you this inspiration and you've said, I'm honoring this, this piece that's come into my mind as a vision. I'm honoring it. And I, I personally believe that when you take, I don't believe that great art comes from me or my art comes from me. shouldn't say great. I believe that it comes from being receptive to it coming to me. And when I start it, I say, Hey, I just took on the project. Um, I can't wait for you to see it muse. And when I finish it, I feel like the more reliable you are at honoring that vision, the more you get, the more I, f- you know, when I finish a piece, undoubtedly, I'm going to get some more juice. And I feel like, you know, there's uh, proof that the light bulb was like invented in two totally different spots in the world at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like whatever that creative force is in the world, I know this is kind of woo woo, but whatever, it's what works for me. I, you know, it wants to see that vision come to life. And so you're not so special. It's going to give it to like 10 people and it's going to give it to 10 
or maybe hopefully of those 10 people, it's going to give it to like a couple reliable people because it wants to come out. And your job is to do it. I mean, one of you, one of the 10 people who gets that vision has to make it. And the more reliable you are at making it, I believe the more assignments you get. You know, we talk to a lot of creative people and we have a Facebook group of uh, all women, actually, that um, a lot of women think that they aren't creative. And um, but one of the biggest things that they come up against is the topic of imperfection or perfectionism. And um, that's what I find that holds most people back is getting over perfectionism. And I think what you're talking about here is so uh, important because you're just saying, yeah, just do it, finish the thing. And it sounds like you've never even experienced um, perfectionism. Oh, no, I I have crippling perfectionism. I had to work with uh, our first guest on the podcast who's all about purpose deeply to to make it so I could actually produce art because I will draw a drawing and I'll never it's like unshowable I'll never feel like I can show it to the world because it's not perfect because that one thing's out of perspective or whatever and you know perfection is a art killer it is a art killer it's a dangerous force and it you know that critic that perfectionism it will convince you that's why your work's good. It'll say, you know what? The only reason your work's good is because I'm so hard on you. And it's like an abusive partner. It's like, I just do this to love you. You know, I do it so your work's not shit. So you don't embarrass yourself. or You don't embarrass yourself. And, you know, I believe that all those inner forces secretly want to help you, but it can get so misguided and abusive. It's not helpful. One of the... One of the things that Jonathan Gustin, who really helped me, the big takeaway was when you get that vision, I have I get such crisp, clear visions. And so my perfectionism is about trying to reproduce that like it's a blueprint. Like if it's not like that, if it's not totally like that vision, it's a failure. It's bad craftsmanship. And what he said that has it just I remember when he said it, it like hit me. It hit me so hard was the vision is in the language of the muse. He uses the word muse for that creative spirit. Mm -hmm. And I adopted it because I love it. He said that vision is in the language of the muse. Now, if you're translating, you know, it's in a different language than we are here on the human world. And if your job is not to reproduce it, it's to translate it. And if you're going to translate Arabic to English, They have different words. They have different ways of expressing itself. So your job, your only job is to try and translate it and to make a good translation. And that means it's going to look different than the vision. That is so helpful to me, Sam, right now. (laughs) I'm I'm dreaming of these paintings. And when I go to paint them, they're not turning out like the dream. And to translate it, you're right, that's a different, it doesn't have to be exactly like it. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the vision, it's like, oh, perfect shading. And yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's real and good. Perspective <laughs> is on. And that's not the case. The, the awful thing about being creative, it means you have to make a lot of bad stuff. You have to make a lot of really shitty work yeah. and you have to finish it. Even if you go, whoa, there's no saving that because the eyes off and it doesn't actually this portrait doesn't actually look like the person you finish it. And who you can just be like, oh, yeah, this is a person I created or whatever. But you finish it and yeah, the the gradient sucks, but it's about 
honoring your craft. It's about honoring what you're here to do and to try and learn and get better. And that's it. That's all you can do. And finish your fucking work. That's number one. Finish your fucking work. Yeah, I love that. Where do you get your visions? Mine come in the shower or (laughs) some other inopportune time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if I don't have a pen and paper, I lose everything because I have no memory. But, you know, they I feel like they come from moments when you're not necessarily sitting there focusing on it and Mm -hmm. being being a professional. If you if you want to take it seriously and be like, quote unquote, a professional artist, which doesn't mean you make a living. It just means you have that professional mindset. It does mean that you produce without inspiration. You know, a graphic designer might not be inspired, but every single day has got to show up for the company and do it. But when you get those moments of inspiration, I mean, they come, you know, sometimes I'll just be walking down the street. Sometimes I'll be in a coffee shop staring at people. A friend could be talking for me, the shower, dreams, you name it. It comes. I try to capture the essence of it when it comes. Um, And I don't know uh, when or where it comes from. I know that listening is important. So getting quiet, asking questions. uh, I believe in that creative force like I talked about so I just say what's my next assignment and it might come a day later it might come a week later a year later but you you make and you create and you honor your craft even when you're waiting for it I feel like you can hear it in sobriety for me by removing that that um buffer that I was you know when I was drinking all of the time I'd have these ideas Sandra and I talk about this a lot like we had really really good ideas all the time when we were drinking (laughs) and the execution not so much so um, I feel like by removing booze from my life like I like I wake up and I can't there's not enough hours in the day to make all the things that I think of or want to make. And I know that's true for Sandra. I imagine that might be true for you too. Like you just, I'm wait, I wake up really motivated and kind of like, I can hear the calling. I can, I can listen. Like you said, you can, you can tune in. Yeah. I'm not always very, uh, very motivated. Sometimes I, I have it, but you know, I, there's a ton of artists that produced great work, totally just in complete addiction. That's not, my story because I would be sitting around in a garage with a group of friends and we would come up with the best goddamn film script you've ever heard of. (laughs) And we never wrote it down and we never started filming. And so Mm -hmm. my, my ego was so out of whack when I was using that. And my ambitions were also so low, terrible combination that I didn't actually do the work but I thought I always could. And I'd be like, yeah, whenever I want, I can become like a totally huge <laughs> artist. <laughs> and I, the world will just receive. Now, when you actually create, like when I started uh, my media company, Hello Humans, uh, you realize no matter what, it's so slow. The world, you know, viral is bullshit. That's like some weird, <laughs> oh, this guy posted this video and went viral. Maybe for some people. That's not my case. It's no, about, if you yeah. build it, it, they will not necessarily come. They will not come, <laughs> uh, guaranteed. And, you know, along with we never give up, one thing I've learned is to just keep moving forward, even if you never get the, the cash and prizes keep moving forward 
we all have this image of what unstoppable looks like. You say, oh, that guy's unstoppable. It always means like a speeding locomotive, like a speeding bullet that just won't get stopped. It's always moving at this crazy pace. That's not my image of unstoppable anymore. I like to say unstoppable has nothing to do with speed. If a snail keeps going, it gets to say it's unstoppable. And so up until this moment, nothing has stopped me. And I get to claim that I'm unstoppable. The only way I'm not unstoppable is if I stop. That's it. Mm, I like that. Um, so I was going to ask you, you sculpture, that, that's a big part of your, your work, correct? Your creative yeah, medium? I mean I, ha- I mean, I know you have a lot I mean, of creative mediums, but for, for um, tactile art making and things that you've shown in gallery, has it always been sculpture or has it been any other mediums? Well, in the visual arts, uh, sculpture works for me. I'm, I, I love working in, in 3D, and I'm not, uh, at this point, you know, a, a good enough um, painter or sketcher to, to really feel like I could create a piece that somebody would want in their home. But um, I'm an artist, and, you know, so there's some people that they just want to make sculpture, and that's not me. It was a huge, you know, for a while it was street art. For a while it was sculpture. Now it's a lot of writing and making audio programs and making videos. And I just, you know, I I just, I like to be just a creator and I'm not too focused on having a lifelong career of being a sculptor. You know, give me some sinew and paper clips and we'll make some crazy instrument that I won't be able to play. You know, I just want to create and I really honor, I have raging ADHD and so what, you know, so one day I'm a, uh, a sculptor and one day I'm an art or art, uh, author or writer, whatever. And, uh, I just, I just want to create because like I said, when I don't create, I get ill, I get sick. It's like mm-hmm. toxins building up in me. I got to get it out and I got to let it come out in whatever seems interesting. And, you know, so I don't get, I don't feel that stagnant. Oh, it's over for you. So it's just like whatever, shift around, you know. If you're if you're sick of doing this, go to something else. Just finish everything. I love it. The first time I heard the word multi-passionate, I was like, Oh, that that is brilliant. That is a brilliant word because that fits me so well too. And so many people I know and 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 have met through doing the work on this podcast. Um so many multi-passionate people and um i i'm like you i don't try to over explain uh why i feel moved to do one thing and then put that down or finish it put it down and then move to go to the next thing um because i all i feel like it all kind of falls under the same umbrella yeah i mean you know there's there was a point where it was like I'm kind of getting sick of sculpture. There was a point when I was doing a certain type of sculpture and it did really well. And so I I even got a commission and I never did it because I was done doing that. You know, I said, I can't take your money for this because I don't want to make this. And um, I didn't want to get pigeonholed in that thing because that's not what I wanted to do my whole life. That's not what I wanted to do in the moment. And um, I honor that, you know, you're going to die. And if you've ever gotten the opportunity, I would say, to see somebody die ungracefully, what it looks like to get to your deathbed with huge regrets, then that will show you. I mean, that 
that is the worst thing in the world. Your job is is to get to the end with as little regrets as possible and to leave it out on the table and to feel like you really did the best you can with the time you were given. I think when to to be um, a creative or an artist or whatever, like what you're saying, like just make all the time. Like it, it doesn't have to be one thing. And when Sandra uses that word multi-passionate, like that really helped me understand it too, that I don't have to just write. I don't have to just paint. I don't have to just draw. Like I just have to make something. And lately, like this, those thoughts of um, talking with other creatives and talking with, with my professor at school. I mean, I never graduated from college, Sam. I'm still going to college. And um, I'm learning so much about what it means to just listen to your inner self. And so it all correlates with recovery for me, you know, when I'm <laughs> in the studio or when I'm trying to to get something out of me and then and not worry about the end result, just make it to make it. And there's like such freedom in that. But I find it, it's, it's like, I, again, I have to listen to myself. And sometimes I, I have to work, like I work so hard. I resist, I resist, I resist what, what I need to make because it doesn't seem practical or it doesn't seem, I have this one side of my brain telling me that. And then the other side is just calling out and saying like, you just have to get it out. You just have to make it. And I, I think that's true. Like you don't have to have one, you don't have to be just one thing. And some people are really good at that and have made careers off of, off of that. But that doesn't feel like it, what it is for me. No, I, I know people that they just, every single day, they want to paint, they want to move some clay around and more power to them. And, you know, we're all different. So yeah, whatever. whatever. The calling. Yeah, it's just listening to your calling. And that's what it is. If you're all about clay all day long, and you want to make that then that yeah, that's a, but it's all just listening to, to your to your to your inner voice, which we can hear now that we're sober. I, I, <laughs> right. I think I couldn't hear my my inner voice or that intuition as well. It would try hello, hello, Sandra, knock, knock, knock. But I couldn't I couldn't hear it as clearly as I can now. Yeah, you got to get quiet. I like to say, your mind is a liar, your heart is a soft speaker, and your soul is too polite to interrupt. So you got to make room for the for the soul to speak. Mm. You got to get quiet. That's true. Yeah, I like that. Well, can you tell us about your creative venture, Hello Humans? We, you've touched on it a little bit, but can you tell us about it? What is it? And when did you start it? Well, at the time, I was uh, working for a great company. I, I loved my job, which was writing and designing curriculum for a trade school, which obviously I love to use tools. I love to do all that. And it meant learning a lot. And um, at that point, I was an atheist. I was about four years into recovery. And I just had never you know, gotten on board. I was very spiritual and religious when I was out there on the streets because you get a gun pointed at you and you don't die and you go, Oh, thank you, God. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I got I call that the up shit creek God. I had that God too. <laughs> yeah. And when <laughs> I got when I got sober, it just naturally kind of faded. And uh, you know, thankfully I, you know, I I just went with that. And so at about four years I had looked at my peers who were also sober and kind of you know, believed in something greater than themselves. And I wanted what they had. And so I made this crazy ritual where I kind of like I was in the locker room and I got down on one. I texted my little group of guys and I said, 
I'm going to do it, you guys. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to surrender everything out of my control to something greater than myself. And I don't care to know what it is. And so I got on one knee and I said, all right, higher power. I am yours. You take the steering wheel. And I've been trying so hard to control everything and avoid the chaos and bring it on. And that light, that night, my life blew up. I mean, it just completely crumbled. I felt like everything I had built just went astray. I, uh, I, um, lost a relationship at the time I, I really cared about. I, you know, because of that, I was so depressed and my work started to suffer and I just felt it in my bones to start writing. And I wrote this really in-depth kind of series of pieces about what I was going through and healing from the end of the world, which is what I called it. I called it the end of the world part one. And I and people responded to it and they loved it. And so I I had this domain for another thing called Hello Humans. It was going to be a physical product, which that's I studied product design in school and it never materialized. And so I just threw it up on that website and people enjoyed it. So I kept doing it and um, and then at some point it felt like, you know, I don't want to be the brand. I don't want to create the Sam Lamont show. I want to be a platform. Like it's really hard to be an artist. And so I want to invite other writers, other artists, other creatives. That's the number one goal is to be a huge platform you know, to kind of undercut the gatekeepers and really get to show amazing artists who otherwise wouldn't get the exposure they want. And that's, that's the goal. And so it naturally grew. Now there's a ton of contributors who write really amazing, beautiful stories, which are messy. I mean, we like to cover things that are swept under the rug. And so you tune into Instagram or Facebook right now, you're going to see a lot of bullshit. You're going to see a lot of cardboard cutouts of what people want their lives to be. And so it'll be vacations and achievements and how great they're doing. And, you know, the it's like it, we're all showing each other these cardboard cutouts of ourselves that are so pretty. And the motto of the company is if you believe what you see, you believe we look like our profile pictures that we spent so much time curating you believe that our lives are these amazing stories that we create with the perfect marriage and all this stuff and the truth is like our our messy quirky truth uh is so much more captivating because you can finally see yourself in the story it's not the rom-com where everything works out i me and my my girlfriend decided to do this weekend warrior project we were painting a room and it, it is not the Lowe's commercial, you know, it is not the Lowe's commercial. Uh, it was fun at times. It was exhausting at times. We wanted to just throw the paint rollers at each other at sometimes. And so those messy moments are incredible. And there's something that we all share. And, you know, the magic, the juice of those messy moments is if you get through it, you, you are a survivor. And so if, if, you know, me and my girlfriend said, you know what, let's take 30 minutes, let's regroup, let's work through this. And that's the beautiful part. If you know, you'll see a photo on Instagram of the couple and they got their arms around each other and they're in front of a waterfall. And the truth is that they got really annoyed with each other on the drive and the hike to the waterfall. And they're mm -hmm. still talking to each other. And they got to take that photo at the end. 
to do it, but it meant some stuff. And so that's, that's what we're doing. We try to get really deep. We try to, you know, cover things that otherwise would get polished away. You know, it's like when you see a piece of brass that has had years to patina and years to kind of get funkier, you see this, it, that is so amazing. It's made naturally and it is so much more beautiful than if you just take a buffing wheel to it and get it super shiny. It's like anyone can make the shine, but that patina, that is like a snowflake. It's one of a kind. It's, it's history. And I think people want to hear the truth, the kind of the nitty gritty of things, you know, so that they don't feel so alone. And I think that's why we want to talk about, you know, recovery and sobriety a little bit, because that's not a lot of that out there. And to hear another, um, another person kind of share their journey and how they got there is, is, is valuable and, and really real, you know, like what you shared with us at the beginning, that wasn't all glossy and perfect. Right. And then, and then it gets you, it's a part of your journey that gets you to where you are right now. Totally. And, you know, I think we're in a really lucky time where there's been decades of this bullshit there's been decades of these people propping themselves up as experts and how you can get what they have and this and that. If you're in a room of people who are talking about how great their life is and how perfect their life is, and then somebody raises their hand and they say, I felt like killing myself yesterday and I just want to be honest with the group, you'll see everyone who is thinking about what's happening on Facebook or droning out, blah, 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 blah. You'll see them perk up and listen because it doesn't matter how loud that perfectionist view and voices in the world are because truth, even if it's whispered, cuts through. I feel like there's a natural response right now in our time that truth is so attractive because it's, it's, it's not out there. And so there's a bunch of great, great purposes and projects and things that are working on this. And I want to be one of the guys I want to, you know, I don't want to be the, the king of it. I want to be one of the guys who picks up a sledgehammer and wants to break the wall down, wants to chip away at it with, with other people working on the same purpose. You know, I think, um, when you hear in recovery from people that say, I am a grateful recovering person, I'm a great, grateful recovering alcoholic. I think that, that the grateful part is the part that we get to show up, uh, and tell the truth and show the messiness. And, um, and then sometimes if you're, if you're really ingrained in the world of recovery, you sort of take that for granted. And then you step out into the real world. You're like, Oh yeah, not everybody wants to see my gaping wound here. Um, but, uh, so I think, I think you're onto something, Sam. <laughs> I think that, uh, we, I think the world is wanting to hear more of the truth. Yeah, I'm a big gratitude guy. I do gratitude lists when when uh, I'm in enough pain to really need to do them. And uh, so gratitude is a, a huge part of the formula, definitely to recognize, uh, you know, spend some time to recognize the little things that you, you haven't appreciated. Like, you know, you can be going through terrible stuff and, uh, you know, but you can treat yourself to like a, a really nice salad that, you know, I, I had a, uh, a mentor say, you know, I believe and this is just his interpretation, but I loved it. He said, 
I believe in the gods and you want to spend time with the gods, you got to follow that feeling of being with the higher power. And so when you when you eat a fresh salad and it hits your stomach and all those nutrients just make you feel good, that's God. You're spending time with God. When you go on a run and you get those endorphins and you feel great, that's a God. When you, you know, when you create a piece of art, you see it to the end, you get to go, "Wow, I finished it." That's a God. And so that's just one of the things that one of the visualizations that I, I like to use in gratitude, you know, is, is huge. I think I went on a tangent, but I'm, I'm, that's okay. Oh, I'll go on that tangent. That's fine. <laughs> I've written a gratitude list every day since uh, December 10th of 2015. And uh, my sponsor had me write 30 items for 30 days, you know, kind of testing me in the beginning to see if I was serious or not to work with her. That practice has transformed my life. Like it has transformed the way I look at things. And I'm in a gratitude circle with Sandra and a handful of other women. And seeing their lists is even more powerful than writing my own. Like seeing what someone else has to be grateful for, especially when things are hard. Um, so the good things are good. You know, the salads are good. And to really focus on that, but also to see like when someone's going through a hardship or there's a death or someone's child has lice, you know what I mean? It's like we were like, okay, grateful for the washer and dryer and grateful um, that people were bringing food to ICU, like grateful for the kindness of strangers. Like I could, it just starts flowing out of me when I make a list. And I love that is such a key, key part of my practice every day. So totally, I'm, I'm all about that. Um, you in, There's an essay on um, Hello Humans. So I guess we'll ask you this too. Like and people can submit and write things um, to Hello Humans and you guys review those and, and, and accept. But what's the process there for writing for Hello Humans? Yeah, you can submit a story. Our submission page went down, but you can always email me at hello at hellohumans.co. Send in your story. Uh, what we try to do is, you know, we try to just get regular people. You don't have to identify as a writer and you send the piece and you do your best to get it as, as, as good as you can. And we try to provide great quality edits and suggestions. One day we really want to have partnerships with other outlets. So after we've run the piece, we can give it to other outlets and try and w work on the personal development of the writer and but it's very low key, you know, you send in a story, one of us reads it. And uh, if it's a good match, then, you know, we send we try to send over some helpful feedback of what can make it the what can help what that story is meant to be really come out and show. Oh, OK, good. So you point them in a direction. So it's not just a yes or a no. It's a, you know. Because you have I mean, themes, right? Like there's some, I got some, some emails from Meg, like there's a theme that maybe you're looking for sometimes. Yeah, that's new. I think it's just, you know, for some people it's helpful to have a starting place. Mm -hmm. You don't need to follow like a the prompt. theme. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's a prompt if you want one. And, um, you know, stories come in and I, I don't touch it. And that doesn't mean that it's any better than the story that needs a little bit of love. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, Maureen O'Brien, who writes on Hello Humans, she's like a writing teacher for teenagers. And so she gets it. She gets how to write for the Internet. You know, there you got 40 seconds to hook them in. That's the secret. Mm -hmm. You have 40 seconds to make sure that somebody, you know, to hook that reader in and tell them that their precious time that is very limited is not poorly spent here, is that it's worth the 10 minutes to read it. 
Well, I um, I read the essay by your mom that you had on there, Sharpen Up, and there was a, a paragraph in there, um, a short paragraph, but it was about grace, and um, that pulled me in, um, and it said that grace meets you exactly where you are, at your most pathetic and hopeless, and it loads you into its wheelbarrow and tips you out somewhere else, it ever so slightly better shape, I'm sorry, in ever so slightly better shape, which feels like a miracle. And I just thought that encapsulated so much for me and um, in recovery and just finding that grace for myself and, and reading those words. And I thought I, I was poking around and looking at everything that you're doing in the videos and listening to the podcast. And it's really uplifting, Sam, really um, powerful and not in a every neat packaged, you know, something with a bow on top. It was all just really real. The, and especially this little short little video clips that you have on your on your um, site can you tell me more about those or what was the impetus for that? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. So what happened was uh, even before Hello Humans came about is um, I was recording these uh, alarm clock messages where it'd be like, hello, human. Did you have, are, you know, did I just interrupt a great dream? Eh, it doesn't matter. You need to get up. You need to get up on your feet because you know that if you press this news button, you're going to feel it's going to carry on through the whole day. So just get up, get up and go. And uh, I shared them with a friend and the friend said, can I get the file for that? And then <laughs> they started sharing it. And so, um, you know, for me, I'm a night owl, but I'm a parent, so I can't stay up until four in the morning. And it, when <laughs> I, I'm in that what I like to call best self, I feel great. So I'll be at my best self at like 11 p.m. when I'm totally inspired, want to write everything down, don't want to sleep, but I got to go to bed. And then I wake up at 630 in the morning and the, the best self is gone, totally gone. Now I'm at my worst self. And yeah. so it was to try and start a dialogue between your best self and your worst self. Hmm. And to, you know, rather than me saying, hey, Sam, to start off, hello, human. And that way it can it can work for anybody. You know, they can. And so the alarm clock thing, at least for now, has never actually become a public thing. The videos, I was super into them, and I got enough emails from our audience that said, this lacks the grit. So we put it on the back burner. We're trying to, you know, kind of think of something else, and we're all very busy, but I'm glad you liked them. Yeah. We, we could definitely do more. And uh, But, yeah, it was just what would your best self say to your worst self? Starting that dialogue, I think it's something everybody could do is record a little message for for when they're their worst self, and they need to remember, you know, who they really are when they're feeling great. Yeah. I do that. I, um, yeah, because I probably have a propensity towards depression, even though I don't really feel it too, too much since I've been sober. I've had a couple of periods, but yeah, I always suggest to people when they're feeling really good to write themselves a note and, and that way, um, they can go back and read it when they're, you know, can't get out of bed. So I love that. I love that idea. Too. Well, your podcast is so fun to listen to. You seem like you're just such a pro with this already. And which, uh, how many podcasts do you have out at this point? I think today we we launched eight, and then we have ten in the tank. That nice. Coming out. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of production behind them and research. Seems, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I I try to honor my guests, so I do a deep dive. And, you know, my job isn't to sound amazing. It's to really honor the guests and get the best out of them so they're proud of it. 
And uh, with the production, I didn't know any of this stuff. I, I learned on uh, YouTube how to edit the audio and, you know, help from friends who were doing similar things. And uh, I just try to carry the same kind of uh, storytelling approach. I feel like, if you, you know, we've been telling stories as human beings since life began and we're that's what we respond to. And so it's just trying to tell a story and trying to get a, uh, an honest conversation. So there's not much production behind it. I do what I can, um, to make it as professionally produced as I can, you know, one day we'll be able to get a sound engineer and, but well, it sounds great. You're, you're, you're pulling it off amazingly well. Thank you. Um, it sounds like though you like the creative process. that seems like a theme that you talk about with your in your interviews. And what made you want to dig into that work of discovering other creatives' process? Well, I think it's a, probably similar to what inspired you to create this podcast and this program. Mm-hmm. Is um, there's a, a lot of people, and myself included, who don't ever give themselves permission to create, even if it means you know making a really beautiful meal off a recipe, you know, there's a ton of people that just never give themselves permission. And so I did get a couple emails that said, Hey, we want, we, we want some more variation in the guests. And I said, Oh, wow. Maybe I was just designing this program for myself. And, you know, it's not my program. It's, it's for the listener. And so I, you know, we're trying to get a little bit more diverse with the, the guests we pick and, you know, go to, athletes or who, whoever but you know it it's a central theme of my life is is creating stuff and so it just naturally came out now when you're you're flying and seeing everyone is what you shared with us right you're doing this all in person yeah when you're I doing do. the interviews and do you i imagine i mean because we're here all on skype today and we can make this happen from three different locations but there there has to be another element um, to doing it in person, obviously, right? Like a connectedness that you must have, especially since it's called, you know, how to human that you're with the human that you're interviewing. Um, do you think, do you think you could do that via Skype or or do you like the component of being face to face? Well, not to knock Skype, uh, but but the in-person interview is non-negotiable and it means Mm -hmm. Hundred dollar flights with fifteen hour layovers, shitty motels, because that's what the program can afford right now. Shitty motels with smoke on the curtains, and uh, also I can show up, and it's a terrible business decision. That's why this is—I call it an art project, not a business, because it's—it's it's terrible. You know, if I can only book one guest in Santa Fe, like Julia Cameron. I've just spent 500 bucks just to get to her in three days, mm-hmm. and um, so it is it's a trip. And then, you know, I got to buy the, the, uh, music for the intro and I got to you know spend more days editing. And so it's, it's really labor intensive, but for me personally, and, uh, for this program, I believe there's something in face to face that I don't think I could get over Skype where when I'm sitting with the guest, I can see their eyes. I can see their expression. I can f- physically feel their energy because I'm in the room And it's all about, for me, it's all about creating the best possible product that I can in this moment. And so, you know, I've had guests be like, yeah, I'm super busy. Uh, We can do it in Skype, but I I can't actually meet in person. I go, okay, well, let me know if that ever changes. It's just a non-negotiable for me. 
Well, thank you for making the exception for us well, <laughs> to come on our podcast. <laughs> well, this is your program. I was on another podcast, and uh, this was before I even started my podcast, and a huge inspiration. It's called The Other F Word. It's all about failure and a mm. great show I'm in uh, episode 40 or something. But uh, And they said, great, when can we schedule the Skype interview? I said, where are you guys at? And they said, L.A. And I said, great, I'm going to drive down. And they actually let me stay in their house. But, oh, you know, awesome. uh, I even <laughs> I tried with you guys. I said, great, you guys are up north. Uh, I'll come to you. And you're like, ah, we do it over Skype. And I was like, you know what? Drop the ego. This isn't your this is your guys' <laughs> program. It's not my program. Uh, Thank you. Well, you could you definitely could have come to my Where are you at? Are you in San Francisco? Um, area? I spend a lot of time in San Francisco. That is my city. I was born there. I lived there forever. And I still live there um you know kind of part-time not really though my son goes to school in fairfax i'm mm. here in fairfax gotcha. which is this little artist hippie town in Marin <laughs> county yeah well i imagine like i was telling sandra when you went to go get your notebook before we started recording i was like gosh if we if we had to fly around and coordinate our schedules like me and her like i i feel like we would have two episodes <laughs> Because it is considering another person. So it is, it's awesome that you go. And I have to say that kind of human to human contact and to the the eye contact that you're talking about, like when you and Paul Williams got teary, I got teary. Oh, I I did too. I could feel it. I was like, I was sitting in the car and I just sat in the car, didn't come in the house and I just waited. And then you, you edited it. It seemed like you you popped in there and said a little something like this. You had to compose yourself. And I was like, oh my, yeah, I really felt that. So uh, Yeah. You're that getting, <laughs> you're getting the, the beautiful. Yeah, that was one of the most beautiful moments in the podcast so far, and it was totally unexpected, and mm. but it happened. And so, you know, the episode that released today is a little bit longer than an hour. It's an hour and fifteen minutes, and so, you know, if you have an hour commute, wow, how cool would it be if I make you sit in the car and listen to the other fifteen minutes because you're hooked, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Uh, that's what happened today to me. I was yeah. like, oh, I wanted to finish. I wanted to finish, you know, because um, I'd started it yesterday, that one. And uh, it just left me in the car just sitting. It was great. Good. It was great. He was great. He was fantastic. He, he was amazing. That's the number one thing. It's all about the guests, not about me. I try and get out, of, you know, set, set them up, throw them a, a ball and just get out of the way so they can crush it. But at the, at the end, it, you shared that he became a patron um, you know, of the show in, in a way and, and was doing nice things for you. And, and like, totally, that's not what you went there to do, right? That wasn't your motive or anything, but just the kindness of others, like the kindness of strangers or people. That, um, yeah. So for now I have this dream that we could be a hundred percent audience funded, which, uh, we are to, to date and that relies on monthly contributions. And so, Man, last week I got four offers from companies making pretty generous offers of sponsorship. I mean, it would pay my bills, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I turned it down. I turned them down for now. I mm-hmm. really want to try and do this audience funded. I said, yeah, maybe later. And so after the interview, Paul Williams said, this was great. I've never had an interview like that. You know, we actually did it twice because we did it once. And then right afterwards, he said, Wow, I had no idea how deep this was going to go. So let's do it again. I, I feel like the first one I did as entertainer Polly, and I wanted to show up as Paul. Oh, and wow. uh, and so we did it again. And then afterwards, he said, "I want to pay for this hotel." And I said, 
no, we can't do that. I'm very bad at accepting things. And he said, you don't have a choice. I'm going to pay for the hotel. And then uh, a day later, he texted me and he said, I've changed my mind. I want to pay for every hotel in 2018. And so he he pays for the hotels. Yeah. (laughs) So sweet. (laughs) I know. And I feel like we're doing a good job because we have over half the guests turned around and became patrons and uh, pretty generous patronage, like 50 bucks a month. I can't believe it. Well, you have a gift, Sam, so I cannot wait to see where your whole venture goes. It's really, I'm so glad that we found you and found, found your, found Hello Humans because you really have a gift. Yeah. Can you let our listeners know about how they can support and tune into the podcast? And we're going to do your three favorite thing or your unruffled toolbox in a minute, but can you let people know how to find you and support you? Yeah, so we're on uh, every social media, hellohumans.co or underscore co for Twitter. Um, But we have a website, hellohumans.co. I've been in very hard negotiations with the dot-com owners. They're not going to sell it to me. But And uh, to become a patron, right now we're using a service called Patreon, which means that they process the money. It's kind of hands-off. I love them for it. And that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash hello human and there's a, a couple of perks we went without perks for a while but now you know um if you pitch in five bucks a month you will ask if you have any questions for the guests before we go on and there's some perks now um and anything helps you know people uh the main thing i tell people when they contribute is do something sustainable like give me a year because that, that way i can rely on it it's not like some big spike of income so if that means buying me a coffee once a month with a $4 or $5 contribution, I would love that. I'd, I'm more grateful for that than a $100 contribution that um, isn't something I can rely on because I'm trying to build a sustainable platform and you know, I, I want it to be something that, that you can do for a while so I, I can work with it and try and make the best content I can with, with the, the money I have at, at my disposal. I think that's such a great platform for people. I've been reading about that, about Patreon, and we don't have any sponsors yet for the show. Or That's just a whole nother job, and we just haven't made room for that. Um, and also, we want to kind of make it how we want to make it and not have to say a bunch of stuff for other people um, just yet. <laughs> but that is a whole nother thing to manage, right? All the perks and things for Patreon. That's another thing that you have to manage for the show. Well, until last week, there was no perks, and uh, all the perks that we give now are pretty low touch, so we can s- spend our time making the content because yeah. that's why people are really giving patronage. But we wanted to have little thank yous. I think for the bigger patrons, uh, we're going to try and send them something in, in, in person, like a mug or, you know, and it, it's not the, the psychological value of what they're giving, but it's just, you know, there's something nice about getting a, a, a card and saying, hey, I, re- I really appreciate you. Oh, yeah. And, the choice to not do sponsorship right now. I, I I have a couple companies on my radar which I already use their service and love. And so if they ever come knocking at my door, I'll go, wow, great, because I was going to mention you anyway. Right. But, um, I number one rule: if you're submitting a story, no politics. You don't get to. You don't get to make your piece uh, about, um, you know, for instance. Uh, uh, anything political, and but I listen. Part of my kind of 
intake of information. I listen to all kinds of outlets. I listen to radical left, radical right, middle of the left, middle, middle of the right. And the one trend I've noticed is that these programs all rely on, on um, sponsors and they're the same sponsors. And so you could be listening to your little amazing uh, left-wing podcast. And if you support the sponsors, which support them, you're also supporting this right-wing podcast. It's oh. like it's <laughs> like Philip Morris, I think, still owns Post Cereal. So if you buy Post Cereal, you're supporting the cigarette company. You could be a mom so against cigarettes, and you're, like, keeping them going. And so that was it. You know, uh, if we ever get sponsors, we're going to be so picky. And even though we don't have a political agenda, I want to see some integrity. And for now, it just makes sense, like, if you like our program, just send us the money directly. You know, I don't want to get 10 bucks because you bought a $400 suit. Like all, all that money is going to another company. And, uh, you know, you could just give us 50 bucks yeah. and right. five, five times as well without you having to spend 400 bucks. And there's an argument to be made if you were going to buy a suit anyway, but whatever, that's kind of my thought with that. <laughs> yeah, no. And it was true about, um, that's why I wrote myself a note when I, when I, um, was listening yesterday, I'm like, go leave a rating and leave a review. Cause I know how important that is on our show and how important that is. Um, you know, it, it, not important in the grand scheme of things, like, but important to um, the people like at iTunes, like you just got featured over on iTunes, right? As a, a new up and coming podcast. Yeah. New and noteworthy. New and Huge noteworthy. Awesome. Personal dream. I can't believe it happened. Yeah. And um, what was I going to say? Oh, the one thing you learn when you start becoming a creator is how bad people are at consuming. You know, and so one of the things I try to pitch is be a responsible consumer. If you enjoyed an hour of the program, write a review. Yeah. You know, write, <laughs> write a comment, even give it a thumbs up like, you know, that's doing your little part to say, hey, thanks for creating this. It helps the creators know they're on the right track or that people appreciate it. It really keeps us going. And there's this weird culture of like kind of one sided. And I did it, too, where it's like you listen to the podcast, you tune out. You never right. write a review. You never send in your, uh, you know, they're doing a pledge for you to make a yearly contribution of 70 bucks. You never send it in. You just consume. It's a one-way street. And so now I try to be a responsible consumer. I try to support other programs I love. We use Patreon. I'm not sure if we're going to keep doing that. There's um, some people that emailed me and said it's, it's not intuitive or whatever. But that's what we use for now. And uh, very grateful for that platform. I think it's helped a lot of artists and it's helped us. Hmm. Well, thank I love you. it. That's great. I I just I just think you know there's two parts to it. Some of it's tangible, like you said, the likes, the reviews, the money. Of course, is great. But then just to feel supported is uh, there's nothing nothing like it. Well, seen and heard. Yeah, that's the magic. Um, being yeah. seen and heard. Well, Sam, we are going to kind of wrap things up here. And when we get to the end of our podcast, um, what we usually do with our guests and share with our listeners is um, we all carry around a little toolbox in sobriety, um, whether that's a physical thing or kind of um, if it's an app or if it's something that just a a mantra that we say in our head, anything. So um, unruffled means calm and not agitated. And so we wondered if you had any tools in your unruffled toolbox that you could share with our listeners, maybe three if you have them. I do. And as you can tell, I'm very long-winded. So these aren't like bulletless, but I'll, okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> you can say whatever you want here. <laughs> Great. Ha-ha. <laughs> Taking over. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> here are three, 
three things that are uh, at least three of the, the core uh, things I try to keep at the front of mind. So no matter how crazy or complex life gets, this is number one, no matter how crazy or complex, no matter how many stories you have going in your head, you can't pay the bills this month, whatever, you only have one job, which is to survive. That's it. At the end of the day, it's just to survive a little longer. You are a bipedal mammal on a rock flying through space and you have a very short life you're gonna die survive as well as you can but uh, you know if things are awful and for me i've had moments of suicidal thoughts just survive make it to the end of the night and you know everything you do almost is about surviving a little longer that's why we eat that's why we drink water that's why we rest that's why we work is so we can have money to to have a house and live and so that's it. You know, just remember, no matter how low you are in the moment, you just go, oh, yeah, I only have one job and that's to survive and I'll figure out the bills. It'll all come. But but that's it. And um, number two is uh, probably a little bit shorter. But what I wrote myself a little mantra, which I like to read uh, on my on my good days when I remember to read it. And one of the lines in it is forget everything you think you know so you can see what's right in front of you and that's something i had to do at 22 i had to go wow i don't know shit there's normally a grace period when you're a child where we allow children to like learn and make mistakes and like learn how to be in the world well i was 22 and even though it's less uh approved to start learning how to be a human at 22 i had to do it i had to forget everything I thought I knew and start making mistakes as if I was a child with the same kindness that you would grant a child who just makes a mistake. And we are story machines. So right now I have this story. Oh, the podcast isn't doing well enough. Oh my God, I have that parking ticket that I don't have the money to pay. I have this uh, rent that I can't afford right now. And I turned down the the sponsors and I'm a freaking idiot. And I just need to forget all that because it's not true. The only thing that's true in this moment is that I'm talking with you two. That's it. I'm sitting down in a chair and I'm talking to you guys. All the other stories, they're not happening. When I go to pay the bill, then I'll be paying the bill. But it's not actually happening right now. And that's part of being a storyteller. It means that you think it's all happening right now because it's in the background, but it needs to be in the foreground. And I just try to remember what's true. And so if I'm reading a book... That's what I'm doing. That's it. And so I f- try to forget everything I think I know, which is that I'm a screw up on this on that. It's not going well. And remember what's actually right in front of me. What's in front of me is a Skype screen and I'm talking to you guys and that's it. Mm, I like that. Number three is to serve your purpose. And this I learned from Jonathan Gustin. It's the first episode of the podcast. Well worth the listen. But he instilled in me that, oh, there's a dog. Sorry. I, I, it's okay. I get lots of dog barking on my show, too. I like to keep them. He'll stay. So you, you, fi- <laughs> you find and you serve your purpose. And so my purpose is to create things into the world, take them from the non-physical world into the physical world that have the potential to give somebody that five minutes of feeling okay. Maybe it changes their day, but you know, it just gives them 
a brief moment of feeling a little bit better or a little bit more connected than they did before. And when I feel like I'm a nobody and this is garbage and my art's garbage, my purpose is to create these things regardless of, of how the world receives them. And I'm a servant to that. And so I try to start the day and just say, I will serve my purpose. I will honor and serve my purpose. I will challenge myself mentally, physically, and creatively so I'm smarter, stronger, and have more skills to serve my purpose tomorrow. I like to tell everyone, you have an inheritance. You inherit tomorrow what you do today. And so if you go for a run and you run a tiny bit further than you can, or you create a piece and you, you know, dig a little bit deeper than you can, you inherit that tomorrow. You are, you know, always try to just move forward. Even if it's slow, that's your inheritance tomorrow. You're going to inherit what you do today. So do something today. Hmm. Thank you so much, Sam. Love that, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, of course. We wish, we wish you all kinds of success. And what was Meg's fund again? What are we hashtagging Meg's fund? Um, Oh, it's just the Patreon. (laughs) I'm teasing. Teasing. It pays pays for everything. It pays for the, it costs 500 bucks a month to run our website because, you know, we have spikes in traffic and it was shutting down. Yeah. And so, you know, you you sign up on Patreon. It helps the podcast. It helps the videos. It helps everything. Hashtag let's pay Meg. Fearlessly. fearlessly gets rejected something i can't do multiple times a day and makes the whole thing possible oh well i'm so glad she connected us i really really am grateful and um yeah we wish you all kinds of success thank you you as well and thanks for having me podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and 